Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell. Danny Cannell. Back to throw versus Jeff. And Raja Bell. Saw the future of football right before your eyes. Just yell it out, man. He can't guard me. What is going on? Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell and Rajah Bell. It is a Wednesday. We got Hannah and Debo joining us as always. Coming up, we got David Sampson, longtime president of the Florida Marlins. He's going to join us as well. Excuse me if I call him Florida Marlins. That's I was the way just I was grew say, up, the way I was, was raised like, on it. I know it's Miami, but I'm old school, Hannah. That's how I roll. I roll old school like that. All right. Uh, but he's going to join us. We'll have some fun with him. Uh, and we're going to do a little MLB preview with him. I can't wait to hear Raja's predictions for the MLB season as we dive deep into uh, the AL East race. You ready, say, Raja? Dude, I've been I've been doing my homework for like the last three days. I cannot wait for the second. The last three days. <laughs> it was like one minute a day, though. <laughs> That's it. Fantastic. We're going to get to that a little bit later. But the NFL, I think, is starting to rival the NBA with – off-season drama because the NBA I've always been kind of jealous about it because you had so many moves with Kevin Durant's free agency what was he going to do and there was that watch a couple years ago then this past season Russell Westbrook what was he going to do was he going to stay in OKC it always seems like there's some drama and the NFL always seemed kind of boring like there weren't many big deals there weren't many big trades but this season I think is the most entertaining NFL off-season we've seen in 10 years at least with the amount of big trades, with the amount of, uh, like Alex Smith getting a big time franchise quarterback getting traded to Washington, with a big time free agent, Kirk Cousins being, you know, hitting the market open, uh, the draft is insane. And now you have potentially, now I say potential because I don't know how real it is, but it does seem like there is a bigger move that the Giants want to make with one Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, the Giants have not done anything to silence the rumors because they've been talked about a lot and they've just kind of floated it out there and said, well, you know, we're, we're open. We'll, we'll listen. We're not going to turn down anybody. He's one of the most talented players in the league, not even wide receivers. He is one of the most talented players in the league. There is a contract dispute, uh, because he wants to get an extension. The Giants are looking back saying, Hey, you've had your share of issues on the field, but also off the field where he was caught in a Snapchat video. Uh, with a girl that had some illicit drugs in it. Right, so, that was never confirmed. True. Ever. He was, what, the, the drugs? Or the, the, the drugs. Video? The video did was you confirmed. See the video? But it was never confirmed that did there were drugs. Did you see the video? I did see the video. All right, so what do you think? Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. confirmed that it wasn't uh, Splenda. Right, or correct. Or Baby powder. Right. It could have been that lined up in neat lines while she was holding a credit card. <laughs> but it could have been something else, too. So I am I I think they should move him. I think he's been enough of a distraction that the Giants should move on from Odell Beckham. But there's a couple reasons why. One, because of the contract dispute. I don't. I, he said he not only wants to be the highest paid wide receiver, he wants to be the highest paid non non quarterback uh, in the league, which is really lofty. I think if he said I want to be the highest paid receiver, I'm cool with that. But he's been over the top. I think the distractions have gotten to a point where he's shown way too much immaturity. There's got to be a point in everybody's career where you grow up, where you kind of get it, where you say, all right, I, I need to stop. Like, I need to stop being an idiot, right? And Odell has not shown me that. And the last reason is because he's been hurt. Like, he missed all, the entire last season uh, with injuries. He's, he's a player that has, like, the fast-twitch muscles, so there's always kind of been – 
some hammy issues, groin issues, because that's just part of the deal. When you're blessed with that much God-given talent, you have issues sometimes with those. Uh, I think the Giants should move on if they can get a value for him. And I think there would be teams that would match up and say, yeah, sure, we'll give you a first-round pick and maybe something else. And if they can do that, I think it's a, I think it's a no-brainer. Part of me doesn't want the Giants to keep him because then, like, I don't know. Oh, no, okay. I'm oh, Sorry. I'm going to change my yeah. opinion. Mm-hmm. Part of me wants the Giants to keep him because then this story is totally over. Like, I want this to be put to rest. I'm... I'm over talking about him. I think this is like become the battle of the whiners. Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> I understand completely what you're saying and the sentiment. Um, you do not trade Odell Beckham Jr. You, you don't like you. I don't care what first round pick you're not getting Odell Beckham Jr. back in return. Um, he is the best wide receiver in football. And I, Danny, I'm with you a little bit. Like I've said it before too. Like I don't love all of the, all of the immaturity issues and the stuff going on, you know, off the field, but. I mean, I I think they hit the nail on the head. Who was it? Who was it? Gettleman that said it about yeah. you, know, you don't quit on talent. Yeah, you don't quit on you don't quit on talent like real talent. You don't you sef- you certainly don't quit on talent that you can't replace. And they can't. There's no replacing what that cat does. Um, you're coming down to Eli Manning, like in the twilight of his career. Uh, you got it's his fifth year in the league. It's not like it's not like he's an eight year vet. I mean, he's still he's still a young pup. I just don't. I understand where you're coming from. I would not quit on a talent like that. You quit. You might quit on some talent. You don't quit on that talent. Like that talent is trans, transcend, transcending talent. You don't quit on that. I would. I, I agree with you, but I also think the contract is an issue because what if he's only there one more year and well, then he's going to bounce? Or what if he? What if he holds out? Because that yeah. he said he's not going to train. And I don't care let me, about. Let me ask you a question ahead. though. Let me ask you a question. Not to cut you off, but who? Like if you're going to pay him the most out of any position other than quarterback like what other positions should be paid more than him like what other people you know give me some names because I, I obviously I i'm a basketball guy miller or aaron donald aaron donald is the, probably he's going to break the bank for the rams i mean there's right. a reason he held out last year because he's under his first contract you know he's under his first deal he's trying to get paid um I, the concern for me with a guy like odell beckham is guaranteed money because then you really have no leverage and disciplinary issues like you can't really you know, if you have, if he gets disgruntled, he's going to be able to say, "Well, I got eighty million guaranteed or seventy million guaranteed, whatever the number is that's guaranteed." Where that would concern me, especially with a player like him who is not proven reliable. Like you've got, if you're gonna if you're gonna back up the boat, uh, back up the truck, and just say, "All right, we're gonna dump a bunch of money at your feet," you're you better trust that that player is going to produce. Like and that's why I thought the Dolphins made a huge mistake with Sue. And why they ended up cutting him is because when, when Nagatakum Sue was paid, he quit. Like he was not, he gave up on effort. He didn't care. And now it's interesting. I thought the Rams actually did a really good thing in signing him for one year because then he's got to prove himself. I thought that was the genius deal. So that's what makes me nervous about Odell Beckham. That, that happens all the time with quarterbacks. It happens all the time. It just happened for three quarterbacks like this offseason where they back up the truck, they give him a bunch of bread and they haven't proven ish. Like it happens. But you they know, don't I, quit. Like, and I, I would say that because they're bad quarterbacks. I don't you know. know that, like I, I don't know that you know. Odell Beckham Jr. quits. Like, I, I mean, he's got some. He's got some issues, like in terms of anger management on the field and 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 have, being with Instagram models who have baby powder and stuff. Like, I mean, but but I don't. I don't think he quits. And in Dominican Sue, I mean, I guess, you know, I, I would make the argument that if he weren't here last year, like they would have been a markedly worse team. Than they were. I mean, I'm, I guess I'm saying I understand what you're saying, but I think it happens way more often in other positions, and it's not really, it's not really viewed the same for one reason or another. 
I think because receivers, like there has never been a franchise that has been built around a wide receiver that's had an, you know, a run. Like the, I was right. trying to think of this, like which, which team was built around a wide receiver that won a Super Bowl? And there really hasn't been. Like there's been, there's been deep, there have been uh, teams that have went around defenses with average quarterbacks. Um, there's been teams won around great quarterbacks. There's been team, uh, even running back, it's been it's been a while because the way the game has changed. Haven't there, have there been problem. teams built around like quarterback receiver duos? Oh yeah, for sure. But like those guys, like the greatest receiver duo of all time, Joe Montana and Jerry Rice. Like Jerry Rice was a team guy. Like as good as he was, he was a hard worker. Like he was, uh, you know, with this relentless desire to win. I was going back to Michael Irvin because I thought Michael Irvin was a guy that was pretty, you know, he was kind of a diva wide receiver, loved to talk, was competitive, except and you know. I don't, none of it was publicized at the time, but I mean, famously, the White House and Dallas, like the problems, you know, the stuff right. that was going off the field. But he also had, uh, Troy Aikman and Emmett Smith. So he had, you know, guys that were built uh, around him. So it wasn't just a wide receiver. I just think it's a position that if you get, cause he, I, I think he's the second best because of Antonio Brown, I think is the best. I think Odell is right there. Uh, but let's say he's going to give you 14 or 1500 yards, uh, a season. I think you would trade it for a guy that can give you 1,100 yards or 1,000 yards who's going to be more of a team guy, who's going to buy in, who's going to be reliable, who's going to be there and be more endurable. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that makes complete sense. And if you're, if you're, if you're make, if he's not a team guy and I don't, I don't, see, I don't equate what happens with him off the field as not being a team guy. Like they, they, they're, they're not like, they're not hand in hand for me. Like I think people can have a life outside of football, um, and do things off the football field that, that don't necessarily creep into your on-field, your on-field sure. like issues look, or your on-field like nobody's. There are no angels in it. Like I like guys party right. Like guys go out and you know they go out they have fun. Sure. Um, you know guys can have their own career. Like he's made a ton of money off the field. Like I have no problem with that. My issue is when he gets into it on the sideline uh, with his own teammates or when he gets you know so many, when he gets in the fight with Josh Norman a couple years ago where he's so distracted where he got multiple you know uh sure 15 yard penalties where it actually ends up hurting the team and even more when he was hurt so he hurt his ankle and he had like the boot on and he was you know trying to come back supposedly but then he was like spotted out in a club dancing like in a dance-off while he's supposed to be in rehab i thought like i think you have to be smarter than that if you want to be paid a lot of money like that's a rookie or a second year guy mistake like to me if you're a veteran if you're going to be a guy you got to be trustworthy and a guy that's smart enough to say, you know what, if I'm hurt, maybe I should get back on the field and do everything I can to get back there. Does that make sense? It does. But he, was, yeah. I, what I would say is he was a third or fourth year guy. Again, it's not like he's a seven year guy. I understand where you're coming from. I just think, like, I'm just pushing back because he's, he's, he is young. I think when we view, like, a competitive spirit sometimes, like, we, we view different positions, like, when a receiver does it, he's a, he's a diva and he's, he's losing it, but like, if Tom Brady or Russell Wilson goes out there and they're yelling at their OC, or they're flipping, uh, uh, or screaming at an official running off the field because they didn't get a call, it's just their competitive spirit. Like, I think it's viewed a little different, so I'm standing up for my wide receivers, even though I didn't play the position. <laughs> there you go. No <laughs> doubt it'll be interesting to watch, see what plays out, uh, in the next four weeks is, uh, up to the draft. Uh, whether he stays or whether he goes. All right, let's move up. One of our favorite segments. Let's do it, Debo. Like it, love it, hate it. Oh, the NFL, they are, they're the most reactive league out of all of them. Like the NBA, I think, is progressive. Like they're forward thinking, so they get in front of problems. The NFL reacts like, hey, oh my gosh, what, you know, something happened, so let's change this. So there is a new catch rule that was unanimously approved after you saw multiple catches 
the Jesse James catch for the Steelers against the Patriots. You had the Super Bowl. There were a couple catches that were controversial. Thankfully, for Debo's sake, they were uh, called correctly, in called my opinion. Correct. Uh, you know, Zach Ertz touchdown was called correctly. <laughs> but the new rule uh, has a new three-step pro- process. One, the receiver must control the ball. Duh. Two, establish himself in bounds. Duh. And then three is the one that's kind of trying to clear things up. Perform a football move, such as taking a third step or lunging with the ball in hand. Noticeably missing from the new three-step process is controlling the ball through the ground. (laughs) I think this is a good thing, but I think it will in no way straighten things up or clear things up uh, through the process. I think I still think you're going to have controversial, quote, catches uh, this year and forever. Like it, love it, hate it. Danny, I was going to ask you this because don't you think in order for this to work, it has to be super consistent? Like they have to practice this all the time. And I feel like there's a slim chance that that happens. Oh, you're 100% right. So I like it. Uh, I don't love it because I, I like, like it. the fact that they tried to figure it. But as far as what you're saying, like there's still there, and they even admit it. They said there still is a gray area. Like there's, for instance, there's supposed to be like, what is a football move? Like that's real. You know, like who knows? Like, and Super different subjective. refs can do that differently. Uh, like in, I think it's supposed to be three steps on the ground. <laughs> well, what if it's two steps and kind of a shuffle or a half step? Like there's going to be times when Sounds like they, a yeah, I wish what they would have done is kind of handled the review plot, the process. Cause I think that's what messes it up in the first place because they look at it so many times in super slow mo and you can nitpick everything. I think what they should have really emphasized is that the call on the field, and I know this is the rule, the call on the field, unless it's, you know, uh, you know, evidence, you know, so obvious that you have to overturn it. But I wish they would have reemphasized that. Hey, the official's call is the one that's going to stand unless it's blatantly obvious that it wasn't a catch. Like, that's the way I think they could have solved it. Yeah, I, I like it because there needed to be a little bit more, a little bit more clarity on the rule. And I didn't think the old one, was 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 clear enough but I don't love it because it didn't clear it all the way up and you just kind of spoke to that it still leaves a whole lot of subjectivity um a whole lot of gray area with 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 what one ref might think versus what another one might think I I I agree with you it needs to be a lot more um difficult for them to overturn a call and I think they should cap I think they should cap the time that the referees have to make yes. that decision. I think they should put like a one minute review. Like you, if you can't make the decision within one minute, you got to keep the game moving. Like, like let's not draw this out and turn it into a five minute thing. Just keep the pace of the game up um, and keep it moving. Next up. Like it, love it, hate it. All right. There's a new penalty that's been instituted. The NFL, again, reactionary, trying to stay ahead of the CTE issue, concussions, player safety. So, now they have instituted a new 15-yard penalty and possible ejection for lowering your head to make a hit. Now, you sound like, oh, okay, a guy's coming to make a tackle. But it is not only for tacklers. It is also for ball carriers. And it's even for linemen on both sides of the ball. I think this rule is dangerous uh, for a couple reasons. One, for physically for the players. Because I think you're going to see an increase of guys going low, which means what? More ACL injuries as opposed to head-to-head collisions. Um, I think it's dangerous because how is this going to be called? There is head-to-head contact on every single play in the NFL. And if you really called this by the letter of the law, you would have a four-hour game because of the amount of penalties that would be called. So I think this is really going to cause the NFL some problems uh, next year when they start to implement it. 
Now, if they if there are some obvious situations where it's crown and the guy really lowers his head and it really leans forward, then I think it'll be a little bit easier to apply and administer. But I think this is gonna I think this is gonna present some problems for the NFL this season, and the players are gonna hate it. Like as as much fans are saying, hey, player safety, the players are gonna hate this rule. I hate it. I don't, yeah. I don't know. I if, hate it. I hate it. <laughs> I don't know if, like, as much as the NFL is trying to protect themselves, I don't really buy that they're doing it right. So, like, n- not that I, I totally like understand the the difference in in this like hit because I haven't been out there to experience it. But I, I don't buy that it would make things better. Yeah. I first of all, I think Danny hit the, almost every collision. There's there's somebody right. with a head. Like yeah. you know when my sons play. And my son's running the ball from the quarterback position and he's running out of bounds and someone comes to hit him. Like when you go to brace yourself, you naturally like kind of, you know, tense up. There's, he- there's collision there. There, and, and there's someone's helmet generally involved. Like when you have two players both trying to go low, you don't think they're going to wind up cracking helmets? Like what do you, yeah. you think you've solved the rule? You've, you've almost made it like more prevalent with that you're going to have head to head contact with people both trying to get low enough to stay out of the way. I just, I, I don't know how you, enforce this i don't know what it does to people who you've conditioned to play a certain way and their livelihood like i'm with you danny i don't think there's any place in the game for launching with the crown of your helmet and 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 trying to maim people like i i think that needs to be cleaned up i like the fact that the nfl is taking steps to kind of address you know the the black eye that they've got um recently with the concussions and the cte and so on and so forth i don't know that this rule uh, the way it's written, and it remains to be seen the way they kind of legislate the rule, the way they they play it out. Like I don't think that this solves your problem at all. I think it creates more problems. And I say this when I'm dealing with my my kids in youth leagues, and they're trying to protect these kids, and they put in these rules about kids can only stay within the three point line. We don't want them coming out and defending. And I'm like, look, I get it, but you're just creating more problems because now you're going to have teams that are winning by two points just hold the ball outside the three point line. Like you can't over think some of these things. You've got to let the game be played and then and and it usually figures itself out. I don't think they got it right on this one. I think the NFL is in big trouble like longer term. Like I think that it's going to be a like a fraction of what we see now the product. Like I think in 20 years it's reasonable to think the NFL is kind of coming to a place of extinction, like where the sport is kind of dying. And I think it definitely is going to look if it does survive, I think it's going to look completely different and I think this is the one of the first steps. But if you really like, if you want to avoid head to head, like take off the face masks or take off the helmets or t- change the helmets completely. Right. Uh, but people will go nuts for that, so they try to do these rules. So it's going to be interesting to see how this impacts the league. All right, next up, one of my like favorites. Love in this it, one. hate it. Yeah, Mike Tomlin doesn't like celebrating, hate it. even though the Steelers, they hey, they were one of the most popular ones in the league with. Uh, you know, Juju Smith-Schuster doing the bike chain around the, the thing when he lost his bike. They were doing the most collaborative efforts. He said, quote, it's a game for, uh, it's for the entertainment of the fans, so I respect it on that level. But personally, I don't like it. I just think it takes away from the game. It's not a good look for young people. Young people aren't allowed to celebrate that way during games, so why should we? I love it. My man is on my page. Love you know, it. You know how we talked about this in the season? I was a little bit, I thought the celebrations were a little bit too much. Like, I like a little bit of celebrity. Like, I like the good old, like, high fives, go nuts, a good spike. But the dance routines, I'm over them. Can I hit it, Raja? Bro, please hit what I hate <laughs> it. Hate it. Like, that's ridiculous. And first of all, we're, like, like Wait, can you, can you come out of the locker room problem. at, like, at whatever country club you're, you're, you're playing golf at right now talking about <laughs> yes. high fives and, Amen. like, take your khakis yes. off, bro. 
Yes. What are you talking about? I, Raja, you and I are on the same page today because I feel like as a fan and only a fan, I like to see the celebrations. Sometimes that's like that's what what makes me want to root for my team more is when they celebrate. I don't want to see a high five. We're high five. That's boring. Who's this guy? I want to see a well choreographed celebration. Uh, always. I, okay, so I'm in the middle. I take it. I gotta, <laughs> I wanna, I wanna I gotta be honest. Yeah, I the, I don't love the over choreography. Like I like I like celebrations. I'm I, I'm like a little more. Uh, than high fives, like I guess I'm a little more liberal than the high five, uh, but I'm a little more conservative than the choreography. Like I'm right, I'm like right in the middle of that. I don't have a problem with dudes like doing a quick little dance or something like that. I don't really have a beef. I don't like when the whole team gets together and they do like, you know, the the electric slide and they do the. Oh, I, the I don't know why I love that. They, no, that's cool. But I like I also think the kids like my son scored touchdowns. Like they've worked all week in practice to try to get a touchdown. Like why can't he get in the end zone and do like a like I don't know a dance. Uh, anything that, yeah. that's you know not like about da- you know I'm about dancing what? at the club <laughs> after when you got your table set up and VIP and you're celebrating a win like that's the time Danny what time do you leave the club when you do that though 11:50 <laughs> <laughs> 11:50 stop it it was at least 12:15 oh, it was at least 12:15 that's I'm fine that's what I'm getting out of my Uber though. I am I I would I would go out after a game you go celebrate with your boys you're gonna go out that's when you celebrate not then all right. Let's uh we 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 can agree to disagree on that one. All right, we got a brand new segment here that Debo has rolled out. Uh it's called Reasonable Expectations uh because we have some guys and I think it's reasonable to ask uh how we should look at them moving forward this season. So Markel Fultz, we've talked a lot uh, a lot about him on this one as we've looked at him in pain and agony as we tried to watch his jump shot, which was one of the ugliest things you've ever ever seen, but I also think you've seen one of the greatest turnarounds because he comes in he plays the other night for the Sixers and he looked outstanding like Philly was loving it uh, he had 10 points eight assists four no, rebounds no once like, no he came. no 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 <laughs> all right so what no. are reasonable expectations what do you got no I, I I didn't mean to cut you he was not awesome he was not and Danny and I didn't debate, he, set, I mean, like, didn't he set some record for like the amount of production in only 14 minutes yes like it was D- there was Debo right, and I Debo? debated this. Look, he looked good on the court. I'm not going to take that away from him. He looked good. He looked good. Um, his ability to play make for himself, get other people involved. Like the jump shot's going to be a work in progress, but he's he's clearly like a really really good player, and I'm glad to see him back. What what I didn't like about it was what happened after the game, and I don't know. Like maybe it's me reading into it, but it's it. it to me, it spoke to where he is mentally about what was going on with that shot. And, and I think there's something deeper there. I've said it before. I think there's something mental there. Um, the fact that when reporters asked him about the shoulder injury, which I think is a very fair question, like you, yeah. you you've missed like all but what three games this year. This was his, what his third game played on the season, fifth, fifth game played on the season. You were the number one pick in the draft. It's as fair a question as you can come about in a pre, in a post game press conference where you scored 10 points, eight assists, you know, and so on and so forth. And you just completely like shut down and don't open your mouth multiple times when that question is posed to you. Like it, it bothered me. Number one. And number two, it made me think that there is really something there mentally and emotionally and that's a scary prospect for me, and it should be for Sixers fans and management. I I agree with you. I think there could be something there because anytime you see, and I think the mental aspect, it looks like, and what we saw on, on video, like from the rehab process, and when he was so awful, even at the free throw line, that it was sort of a mental hang-up, and you wonder what's there. 
if there's greater issues, like if there is some some issue that's there. But I do think this is a huge bonus uh, for the Sixers. Like the season they're having, sitting in the fourth seed right now with the young talent that they had, I don't think anybody was counting on anything from Markel Fultz, even at the point of, and I think we even talked about it, like wondering would he be a bust? Would he ever be able to return? The fact that you're able to get something out of them, I think is huge for the uh, the Sixers. I think I think in the playoffs too, I think they're going to be a fun team to watch because they're so new to this. They're almost naive, uh, like they don't know any better, like what they're supposed to do. So I think they could I think they could have some fun in the playoffs. Like I'm not saying they're going to win the Eastern Conference or they're going to beat LeBron. But I think they're going to win a round, don't you? Like, don't you think that's reasonable to think they could advance through a round of the playoffs? I think it's reasonable. I don't know that they will. I don't know that they'll beat Indiana. I don't know that. I mean, Victor Oladipo and them are playing great. Um, but I, I agree with you. Having him back. Look, I want to be frank. For the kid, for the city of Philly, for the organization, I think it's fantastic. And I hope that I am wrong. I hope that there's not something bigger there. Um, so reasonably, um, yes, you could say that they'd win a playoff series. I, I agree with you. I don't think they would win the East this year, but from where they sat a year or two ago to where they are now, I mean, you can't be anything but like super excited about the direction of the franchise. And if all of these guys are healthy physically and mentally, I mean, the future is really bright and Philly and you'll have a buttload of cash potentially this summer to go out and try to entice somebody else to join that young nucleus. All right. Let's go, uh, let's go to the Warriors because for what is a reasonable expectation? Now this is Steve Kerr's fault because he brought it on himself because Steph Curry, we learned he's going to be out probably for the first round, maybe even more. Who knows the seriousness of this injury? But Steve Kerr went out there and said, you know what? It doesn't even matter. We can beat anyone without Steph Curry. Is that a reasonable nope. expectation for this team? Nope. I mean, you should, <laughs> I'm nope. with you. I think he set himself up for. I think this is a, I think that was not a very smart statement for a coach who usually handles things better. Right. I, I look, I, obviously you should feel like that. I mean, any, any pro team should feel like, you know, the guys that are there are fully capable, whether you're missing your number one guy or not. Like when Amari Stoudemire went down for our like, oh, oh six Suns team, that sucked, but we really felt like we were still good enough to get it done when push came to shove. And so you have to feel like that. It's the reason. You know, one of the reasons you are where you are, that supreme confidence, but I'm going to be frank. They are not beating Houston without Steph Curry. That's not happening. Like, it could be a knockdown drag out series. Uh, it could be some really fun basketball. I'm sure Kevin Durant will go absolutely banana cakes. Like, um, there's some stuff that, that could be really fun to watch, but they are not beating Houston with, without Steph Curry. And if I'm not mistaken, second round right now, four or five series would be, uh, New Orleans and is it Oklahoma oh, City? Say. You better watch out in that series without without Steph Curry. Well, they would play the yeah. Blazers right now. They play the Blazers three seed. They play the three. Oh, they're two. My bad. I'm yeah. tripping. I'm thinking Houston. Yeah. yeah, they're the two seed. Yeah, but yeah, you better watch out in Blazers series without Steph Curry. But definitely not being Houston. Quick question: Are they a better team? Could they like? Are they bet like if you lost Steph for the season or you lost Kevin Durant for the season? Which is the better team? Uh, see, it's easy for me to say if you lost Kevin Durant, but that team they lost a yeah, lot I'm, of the pieces. I'm on the other side. I think Steph Curry has almost been under valued the last year and a half. Like, I think people forgot about what a dynamic shot maker he is and the impact he has extending the floor. I think people have completely overlooked him. Yeah, no, I was going to say it's going to be easy for me to say that they're better with Steph because they won the championship. But I could I could definitely make the argument with you that they're better with KD because the team isn't built the same way that it was around Steph when they won those championships early. They've tinkered with, with some of those pieces around uh, the edges, and so the complexion of the team's changed. Um that's a tough one, but I, I, I look Kevin Kevin Durant. You're going with Steph Curry, right? I could easily say Steph, but I'm going to take KD, and I'm going to take the opposite side, fade you as usual, because <laughs> I think he's 
He's bigger. Um, it, it, it makes you a better defensive team when you've got that type of length on the court. Uh, and, and in a playoff game where Steph, I think the Cavs showed you the second time around the block that if he didn't have enough weaponry around him when Draymond was out, they would just crowd him. They would trap him. They would get the ball out of his hands. He was a little too small to, to counter that kind of stuff. You're not doing that with KD. Here's what's happening with Hannah. Two college coaching hires at programs that enjoyed success not too long ago, but now struggling. Pitt brings in Duke assistant Jeff Capel as its next head coach, while Louisville hires away Xavier's Chris Mack. Capel has been a Blue Devils assistant for the past seven seasons and is responsible for the nation's top recruiting class in four of its past five years. Mack had been in charge of the Musketeers since 2009, reaching the tourney eight times this season as a number one seed. His deal with the Cardinals is reportedly for seven years at $4 million per. Apparently nobody wanted uh, the pit job, and that's how Jeff Capel was able to get a seven-year deal. But good for him for getting it. And then the Chris Mack to Louisville, he's had an incredible run at Xavier. I think it'll be interesting to see how the Louisville, Louisville fans react to him because I don't feel like he's a name that Louisville um, really goes nuts for. And this is a program that views themselves as a top three program in college basketball. I think they would have loved to see a splashy hire like a Billy Donovan or you know somebody coming from the NBA – and I'll be interested to see how that plays out after they've had a lot to go through. So other outlets will fall for fake news, but off the bench will not. We're going to play a little game of true or false. So true that LiAngelo Ball declared for the NBA draft yesterday. True. True that he scored 72 points in a game, but false that it's even worth talking about because there has never been more of a misleading stat line. Ball's Lithuanian squad played middle schoolers, and LeVar, oh. a.k.a. Chris Jenner, rigged it to get his kid in the headlines. Guess it kind of worked. Oh, and really, true. It's verified he played middle schoolers. This is this is real news. Yes. There's no one fact-checking Lithuanian players, so yes. <laughs> did not play well, no damn middle school basketball players, man. The kids were like 110 were pounds, yeah. That's, oh, that's such a bad that's look. That's a shame. Do you think – so he declares for the draft. Do you think he gets drafted in the first round? No. No. I was going to say true okay. that Jello will not get drafted. Um, Wait, which one's Jello? Jello is the football player? Or J- no, the Jello one that was, was at UCLA. One? Yeah. I don't the know. He's not, he's not the even a good brother. one, right? It's the young no, he, will not, one. he will not get drafted. Yeah. Is he going to oh, play for the Lakers at all, Raja? I mean, they might – I don't know. I don't think the Lakers would touch that. He'll probably wind up somewhere as a free agent, going to summer league with somebody and – Look, if there's if he ends up with the Lakers, then then uh, Lavar Ball is more impressive than Chris Jenner and what she's done with the Kardashians. Or he's got like something he on magic. That off, Honestly, he's already no called one's it. more impressive than Chris Jenner. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, Johnny Football throwing footballs at Texas A&M Pro Day, and the former Heisman Trophy winner and NFL flameout Manziel reportedly met with the Patriots multiple times. What? He's been linked with them a lot. Like even back to his last time around, he went to a game and he was. He always talks about Brady being the goat. Patriots are always looking for value. Uh, I think it'd be a good spot for him if he gets that opportunity. He's going to make a minimum contract. He's just going to be a camp arm. And it's sort of. I mean, they, remember they took a they took a shot with Tebow, who was you know a big distraction because of all the stuff that he brought along with him, cameras, you know, conversation. And if the tightness of their routine and how tight a ship they run with not letting their players do anything or kind of, you know, have any fun, so to speak, I think with his issues that he's talked about, I think it might be a good option for him. I'm not saying he makes the team. I'm not saying he plays with them for a long time. But I think if you were looking at Manziel, I think he would be, this would be a huge home run to even have that opportunity to be a camp arm with the Patriots. Two words, bro. Colin Kaepernick. (laughs) Ooh. That's it. 
I think this is the difference. Manziel is desperate to play football. He'll do anything. He'll sign right. a split contract, which is basically saying I'll sign. You Cause know, because he, he's got no resume, bro. I, I, you're right, but Kaepernick will not sign for minimum. Like he's saying, you got to pay me starter money or at least really high backup money. And I think that's part of the problem too. Now, does he deserve that? Yes, he does. But that's the problem. I think he's the the demand. Like the the salary hasn't met the offer. That ain't Colin the problem, Kaepernick. bro. <laughs> All right, moving on, guys. Damian Lillard with the individual performance of the night, dropping 41, 9, and 6 in the Blazers. Crucial 107 to 103 victory over the Pelicans, keeping distance from teams like New Orleans challenging for the three seed. Elsewhere, the Heat blow out the Cavs 98 to 79. I love that one. Cleveland without Kevin Love in the second half due to what was initially diagnosed as a loose tooth, which turned into concussion-like symptoms. Kevin Love. Jesus. Like Mr. Glass. Uh, Can we talk about that? Uh, I love Kevin. I love Kevin. Kevin's my dude. I, I feel so bad for Kevin sometimes when I watch the games because he cannot stop getting hurt. Um, but it's all right. They'll be fine. They'll like they got bigger. They got bigger issues. Kevin loves teeth. They'll fix those. Uh, Damian Lillard is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. He's like a video game. He's probably <laughs> he might be my new favorite player in the NBA just to watch him get buckets because it's really it's really fun to watch. But. Kev, I, they need to just wrap him in like pre-wrap, oh, bubble wrap, like put some like casting agent on the outside and let him play like that. All right, yeah, last I week. had the same exact. As soon as he went down, and he stood and he was on the ground for a couple minutes, and you kind of saw. I was like, he's done. He's not coming back in again. And it's never uh, fake. It's not like it's fake stuff. Like he genuinely right. gets jacked up every time he touches the court. All right, right. lastly, guys. Dirk Nowitzki will turn 40 in June and plans to still play when the NBA returns in October. Next year would be the future Hall of Famer's 21st season in the league. Dirk saying, quote, as of now, I'm planning to come back. Why not, I'll Dirk? Be back. Like, why not? He's like... He's never done. Like, don't be done as long as they're going to keep paying you. And then, like, every locker room needs one of those guys that's there that can help, like, usher in the new talent and kind of, you know, show them the ropes and teach them how to be a pro. And Dirk's as good a pro as there there is. His work ethic is is just... It's unmatched. It's unrivaled. Um, his his shooting coach, um, I forget Holger. You know, I think he's taken some of the younger kids and, and kind of showed them, you know, different things about their shots. So I think it's a great look. I just like Dirk. It feels good now, and then in six or seven years when you stop playing and you roll out of bed, it's just not going to feel the same. That's the only thing I'd say to Dirk. Yeah, but what's one more year? He's already played. Like, I hear you. Eternity, I hear so you. what's one more year? He's still going to be sore anyway. Right. So keep sure. rolling, man. It's the most it's the most fun gig you've never had being a professional athlete. So let it keep rolling. All right. Let's get in some baseball with our guest David Sampson. He's going to join us right now. Kenny, you uh, got You have to see this ring that he's rocking. I've seen it. You've I've seen, seen it? that ring. Holy that thing cow. is ginormous. Are you kidding me? That thing is incredible. Uh, David, thanks for joining us, man. We really appreciate it. You're welcome. Keep in mind the ring looks much better on guys who aren't 5'5", 127. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I would well, disagree. Well, before thank you very we much. Got, b- before we dive into some baseball, I've got to talk because I have floated the idea. My wife has actually done a mini triathlon, like the sprint triathlon. I've I've joked with her saying I could do it, no problem. But these are mini ones. Like you've done the real deal. You've done seven marathons on seven continents in seven days, like which is the most insane feat I think I've heard anybody of any athlete out there because of the endurance factor. How did you, how did you accomplish it? What went into the preparation and why on earth what would possess you to do that well let's start with the last question first what possesses me to do all these things are two things one charity i raise money for charity every time i do one of these events back in 2006 when i did the hawaii ironman i was the first ever team president of any sport to do it and it's still the, the only one which i'm not surprised by 
And uh, I was able to raise $250,000 for two great charities. Oh, that's great. And it took 15 hours and 36 minutes. It was brutal. A year of training. I spent 40 straight Saturdays not going out because you had to wake up <laughs> Sunday morning to do 100-mile bike rides or swims oh, or two-a-days. Uh, but as they say, the pain is worth it because once you cross the finish line, you're an Ironman forever. And I have the uh, tattoo to prove it. So – I'm sorry, go ahead. No, then I just went on to a double marathon where I raised $600,000 for charity running 52 miles. And then I said I got to come up with something else. So I did the World Marathon Challenge, which is the seven marathons in seven days on seven continents. And only 104 people in the world have ever done it. And I raised $1.2 million for charity. So oh. I know you got you got Conine in with you on the on – the, uh, the big one in uh, the Ironman, right? He did the. Did anybody do these marathons with you, or was it you solo? It was a team, but let me tell you about Conine. Conine did the Ironman after I did because he was so pissed that I did it. Can I say that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. He was so pissed that he went to you Hawaii. You can say that he was angry if you want. Can I, <laughs> let me tell you. He reminds me every day, because we're still very close, that he beat me by 52 minutes. Oh, he's that guy? He's that guy. Uh, and I want to go back so badly and beat him now, <laughs> except I'm too lazy and I like drinking too much. So I got Conine and 15 other people to do these seven marathons with me. We formed Incredible. a team. We had a woman with one leg named Sarah Reinertson, a very famous uh, Paralympic athlete. We had a man with Parkinson's wow. become the first ever guy with Parkinson's to do this. So we had his, his two people from Survivor who I was on Survivor with. So we had just a fun group of people. We traveled the world, and uh, we took drugs, and we tried to run seven marathons. <laughs> that sounds like the most insane thing. Like, I, I'm debating doing, like, one marathon. Like, you I should. can't even imagine doing what you did. You just get into a routine. You just have to do one marathon, and then you wake up and do another one. Yeah, my buddy, my buddy, uh, took up, uh, Ironmans and marathons and, and he started like trying to train me. Like he'll give me the blueprint to train. I just, I'm not built for it. Like I really, <laughs> no, mentally, I think you have to be, like you have to be a mentally tough SOB to like get out there and grind like that. That's, it's 70% yeah. mental and 60% physical. <laughs> Yogi. <laughs> so I do have some questions about the Marlins. I know you were with them from 2002 until the fall of 2017. What are the emotions when you see the franchise undergoing so much change recently? Like, what emotions do you have? Well, wow. So just yesterday I was on a therapist's couch talking about that very subject. So I would say the emotions are strong with opening day. It's the first opening day I haven't been a part of in 18 years. And it's, it hurts. I, you know, I want to be there for the fans. I want to, I want to watch a team and, and have a rooting interest in the team that I love and, and helped, you know, win a World Series with and lose a hundred games and trade players and sign players and have all that conflict. But, uh, I, I think what, what Derek Jeter's doing now makes sense. It, it, it hurts right now. But again, that's the blueprint for success right now in baseball and in the NBA. You're either not going for it or you're going for it. And being in the middle is just the wrong place to be. Yeah. Um, so I think we're all Florida kids down here. So I remember the championship from the huge baseball fan, but obviously playoff baseball and when your home team wins, like that's, that's pretty dope. So in the 03, right? You got the big shiny ring. What was your favorite memory of that season? Is there anything that sticks out like more than, more than the rest? The number one moment, there's so many moments, but the one story I'll tell is during game six against the Cubs in Chicago. Uh, we were losing to Mark Pryor yep. in the eighth inning before that famous eight-run eighth with Steve Bartman. And I was in the clubhouse, and I was preparing my remarks of what I would say to the team. Great run, great season, congratulations. Yep. 
and I was saying it sort of under my breath, but loud enough. You were rehearsing this. I was semi-rehearsing, yeah. which is strange because I generally have no notes and rehearse nothing. I was just trying to get my thoughts together. Right, right. Mike Redmond, uh, who became a future manager who we fired, but <laughs> at the time he was the backup catcher, uh, he was in the clubhouse getting coffee, and he said, David, shut the f*** up. We're going to win this game. <laughs> You're like, what? <laughs> and, and, I, and I said, what are you talking about? And I just couldn't believe it. He said, get back to your seat. <laughs> and this was before we even had a hit off prior yeah. as part of that rally. And I remember what happened when we won that game. Mike and I looked at each other and didn't say a word because we still had to win game seven. Yeah. We just looked at each other. We knew we had just seen history. And then we knew we'd win game seven. That's it wasn't great. even a question. That's Up great. until that, did you feel the slightest bit bad for Bartman? So remember, we were at the game. So all we saw was was a ball that we didn't think could be caught. And then we saw a lot of beer being thrown. And then we saw police. And then we saw chanting. And all we know is Alex Gonzalez had a huge error at shortstop after that. We had a bunch of hits. Dusty Baker had completely mismanaged his starting staff the whole season, including in that series. So we knew we could get to prior if we could just hang on. And we knew getting to their bullpen would be fine. And we were confident. I mean, we, everyone but but I at that time. So Bartman was not a focus. Then when we got back to the hotel and watched highlights, we realized that he was being blamed. But there's no way anyone there realized the history that was unfolding and how bad it was going to be. So I, one, a big piece of that, that team was Josh Beckett. Like he was, he was incredible uh, during that run. Have you seen his mugshot from his arrest this past <laughs> offseason? It's my screensaver. <laughs> <laughs> so did you, I actually got to talk to him about it. He said it was a bet, and the guy was like a 75 grand bet that he was supposed to go tackle the guy. And he said the guy actually paid up. So maybe it was worth it for him. 75 for that. That might be not a bad trade off, right? 75 grand for a mugshot? Yeah, I'm in. I'm out. Oh, you're out? Out. 75 here's racks the for words, a mugshot? I'm Here's the that. words you never want to hear yeah. as a public figure. Yeah. Turn to the right. <laughs> <laughs> so look, you, you touched on the, you touched on the middle ground, right? And you know, the NBA, it's a big conversation now, the tanking. Like, what do you do with that? You imagine that becomes something that baseball has to discuss because you're right. Like, if you're in the middle, you're just kind of stuck. It's either, happening right now. Yeah. It's the union is very focused on it in baseball because there's so many teams. The whole thing in baseball, going back to Bartlett Giamatti, the old commissioner, and James Earl Jones and Field of Dreams, everyone wants hope during spring. That's what you're hoping for, hoping for hope. This year, it's not that. There's maybe 10 teams with hope and 20 teams who are saying, hey, let's go to games and have fun and have good in-game entertainment. That's not a good position for a sport to be in. Right. I do have another question about the Marlins specifically. So I, I covered the team for a little bit, and I was there throughout um, Jose Fernandez and, and all of that, right? So I saw this team experience so much, and now that this team is completely different and, and separated, um, what do you have? To, what do you think Marlins fans should do going into the season? Like, what kind of attitude should Marlins fans have? Because for me, I'm I feel like I'm not a fan anymore of the Marlins. Like I feel like they've lost me now because all of those guys that I was rooting for are gone, and I feel like that energy of the team has completely shifted. And so, yeah, what do you have to say for Marlins fans this season going in? Just breathe, <laughs> right? Because be a fan of the name on the front of the uniform, not the name on the back. And be a fan okay. of the process and understand that there was a window that was open and then it closed and now there's an another window opening, hopefully. And realize that if it's done right, the way it happened, you know, in Chicago and Houston and Philadelphia 76ers, right. I mean, there's story upon story of teams who have trusted the process, so to speak. 
I hate to quote. Is that LeBron? Yeah, no, the that, that's no. Sam, no, Sam, Sam Hankey and Joel Embiid. Yeah, yeah. No, that's the Sixers. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. all right though. I mean, it's it's bearing itself out. I'm I mean, more interested it. in do than trust, yeah. as in D U E, in terms of process. But we can talk about that another time. <laughs> but uh, I, I think that as a fan, you just go to a game and enjoy Marlins Park, and there's some fun players to watch. Mm-hmm. Go watch Lewis Brinson hit. He's fun, and uh, you know what are you going to do? What's your alternative to just right. live in a city where you t- turn off your team? Right. Love your team and love it through good times and bad times. That's called yeah. a relationship. Yeah, that's right. a great answer. <laughs> yeah, sure. All right, so David's going to be joining us at CBS Sports HQ as an MLB analyst. You've been around the game. You mentioned 18 years with the Marlins. Before that, you were the vice president of the Expos. So you obviously know a lot. You've been paying a lot of attention to Major League Baseball. So let's do. Let's talk talk a little about the upcoming season with opening day tomorrow. What do you, We just did a segment called Reasonable Expectations. What do you think a reasonable expectation is for Shoei Otani? So I took the under in terms of wins and home runs for him. I think people are thinking he can hit 20 home runs. I don't think he will. People are thinking he can have 15 wins. I don't think he will. I think it's very hard to be a two-way player. Think about it with the NFL. In, you know, it's in high school, it's fine. Sometimes even in college back in the day, you could play both sides of the ball uh, or in pony leagues. But in Major League Baseball, it's too hard to prepare to pitch every five days. You have to work in between those days. And to prepare to hit, you have to know who you're facing, unless you're Vladimir Guerrero, who never knew who was pitching against him, see the ball, hit the ball. But you have to know what you're doing. And I think it's too much to ask for a 23-year-old adjusting to the United States from Japan. So I don't even have him as my rookie of the year in the American League. Uh, and I certainly wouldn't have had him as the number four man in the rotation going into the season. But I'm sure, and we just talked about it on HQ in a segment just a few minutes ago before I came on with you guys, that I they had no choice but to put him in the rotation because I'm sure that was promised to him during the negotiation. So, so Aaron Boone, right? Uh, new manager, Yankees team that probably exceeded a little bit of expectations last year, but this year they'll be a favorite. Like, what do you, what do you think some of the challenges that he'll face being a new manager? And do you see that Yankees team continuing on the trajectory that they were on last year? So, we had Booney with the Marlins. Uh, he is a great guy, a very funny guy, a very engaging guy. He will get along well with the players. I don't know his X's and O's and his strategy, but what I do know is what is important for me and a manager is what's the manager like when the team's lost five in a row? Because the right. Yankees will lose five in a row at one point this year, and they will win five in a row. What is he like during those times? Because yeah. players look to that. And how will he deal when Stanton and Judge back-to-back strike out with a man on third in the ninth inning with one out to tie the game, and the Yankees lose that game? How do you deal with those situations? Because it's going to happen. I think the Yankees, I don't think they'll be better than last year in terms of where they finished. Right. They came a game away from the World Series. That's hard to do back-to-back years, and I just don't know that they have a pitching staff to do that. So we like talking stats here on the podcast, and we've become increasingly accustomed to them in basketball and football. But when it comes to baseball, we know that it's a fact, a stat-driven sport. So what is one relatively obscure stat that you love that we should love to? Well, are you ready for this? <laughs> oh, I'm so ready. Brace yourself. I might have to write this down. Get ready. I like looking at what the players eat pregame as a leading nice. indicator to how they're going to be during the game. Nice. And as opposed to all of the analytics, here's what I don't pay attention to. Hey, did you know this guy is two for six against this pitcher? We okay. got to get we got to get him in the lineup. 
do you know that this guy in Minute Maid Field on Wednesday afternoons against a lefty has a very good likelihood if you throw him a 2-1 changeup to hit a home run, right? That's really sweet. But it doesn't – it's very <laughs> difficult so to apply. So like if Justin Bohr eats donuts before, is he successful or no? I love where your head's at. So <laughs> the problem with Bohr is it's always donuts. So whether he has a great game or a bad game, so – but I like to see tradition. I like okay. to see a player and how they get – I like – it's the old time – it's the money ball issue, right? right? I don't like doing things based on just a piece of paper. I like looking in the players' eyes. I like talking to them and what are they thinking? How's their life outside the game? How are their relationships? How are their friendships doing? Are they in a fight with their wife or girlfriend? Are their kids keeping them up at night? What's, what's happening? Did they run into traffic on the way to the ballpark? Do they have a flat tire? These things, it sounds crazy because in analytics, they don't count. Right. But in the real world, when you're up at bat facing a 95-mile-an-hour fastball, having a clear head is way more important than knowing to keep your elbow down, to make sure you're looking the other way. It's just – it's hard to think of all those things. Picture a golf swing. Yeah. The more complicated you make it, you, you can't hit it as far. Yeah. Right. Just see it and hit it. So I always enjoyed being around the clubhouse, maybe much to the chagrin of some of the guys sometimes. But I didn't do it to be intrusive. I did it just to learn, to understand practices and, and habits, and then to watch a game – after witnessing habits and then to see what matters. So what were some of the habits that you witnessed that you, you that really stood out to you? So Ichiro is my number one over 18 years. Okay. Uh, Ichiro, nothing mattered to Ichiro but the process of getting ready for a game. Whether mm-hmm. he was starting or whether he knew he'd pinch hit in the eighth inning, whether he was playing in the field, DHing, whatever he's doing, he had a pregame routine that it, it was definitely OCD. Mm-hmm. It borderlined on... I assume a psychosis because there's nothing else that you couldn't get him out of that routine no matter what. Rain, shine, he did the same thing every day. And I love that because baseball is such an emotional game. But to be successful, you have to have no emotions. Right. So it's impacted my personal life because after 18 years in the sport, I, I became robotic. And I had this armor over me because – there's so many games you can't right. Every be emotional. Day. Yeah. So many at-bats. If you're 0 for 10 or a player is 0 for 15, you can't just say minor leaks. Mm-hmm. Or if all of a sudden a guy hits a walk-off home run, you don't say give him a contract extension. Mm-hmm. You have to be unemotional about it, and that's Ichiro. He prepared in a totally unemotional way, wow. and he did it the same way every day, and the young players looked at that. He didn't bring his cell phone into the clubhouse. problem with all these young kids that are on their phone a lot, and mm-hmm. I looked at that. That's very distracting. It's yeah. why there's no phones allowed in the clubhouse. It used to be they claim it's for gambling. Don't tell anyone. Yeah. But it's not. <laughs> right, right. Right. Wow. It's the no cell phones. It's such a distraction. And what it causes is 25 guys to not interact. They're disconnected. Even like the there's music though. Like I, I remember D. Gordon used to just like blast his, his music before a game. So music becomes a thing. Players have headphones a lot now mm-hmm. because there were fights in the clubhouse over music. <laughs> and so each clubhouse has to choose how to solve those fights. The way our clubhouse did it a few different years is there was a playlist of every different kind of music that everyone would like. So the problem is you'd have Barry Manilow mm-hmm. followed by some electronic music, <laughs> followed by a song in Japanese, yeah. followed by two songs in Spanish, you know, followed by, you know, ACDC. Mm-hmm. And so it's very hard to get into a mental groove when that's your playlist because that's so eclectic. 
that it becomes distracting. So I think we lost 90 games that year, and I totally blame it on the playlist. <laughs> Definitely wow. not on us choosing the players. Bad playlist, for sure. <laughs> That's so crazy. In the, in the NFL locker room, the weight room was the music spot. Like Everybody wanted music. And so what they did, the solution on most teams I played for was days. Like You'd have hip-hop day. You'd have country day. You'd have heavy metal day. Like So they just had themed days. But even still, like guys would come in and there would hate one genre of music, yeah. and they'd be ready to throw down. All right, let's keep it rolling with uh, some, some one-word answers here. All right, so where will Bryce Harper play uh, next? D.C. He's going to stay there. So he's going to stay in D.C. All right, what about Manny Machado? Yankees. Oh, they're going to back up the truck. All right, <laughs> World Series picks and winner. Astros over the Nationals. Ooh, I like, I like that, that. Astros going back to back. Mm. All right, let's do some. Let's we're going to light it up here towards the end. We're going to have some fun and do some superlatives. All right, so what annoyed you more, Jul uh, Julio the octopus, octopus winning a mascot race, <laughs> or Marlins man becoming a uh, national phenom? What do you live on Google? <laughs> Holy <Yes>. crap! <laughs> uh, you can thank Debo for these. Our our producer right there. I uh, listen. I mean, Dick Tracy over here came up with some great questions. I'm going to go with Julio winning was very annoying to me. Wait, I have to ask. Like, what is your real opinion on Marlins man? Unfiltered opinion. Well, I'm unfiltered to begin with. Okay. Um, he is over the top to the point of night sweats. <laughs> hey, you're you're a movie guy, right? Yes. Movie of the year, in your opinion, not Oscars. Movie of the year, best movie you saw this year. Maybe not even in the Oscar conversation. It wasn't. I really loved with uh, Channing Tatum and Daniel Craig called Logan. I wanted Lucky. to see Lucky. that. And yeah. I didn't see really, it. really Robbery. good. Yeah. Excellent movie. Really, really good. Yeah. I also loved Baby Driver. Yeah. But I also was emotional about The Shape of Water. Shape of Water. You liked Shape of Water. I didn't see that. I did. That was that won the Oscar for yeah, Best Picture. But I, I, I had I, it picked. Oh. I can't get into the. Yeah. Just give it a moment. All right. Give it. You have it's to give Adam it time. Adam Driver, right? right? Yes. Adam Driver Logan and Lucky. Channing Tatum separately can do no wrong. So the fact that they've joined forces and I haven't seen it yet is daunting. To get my on it. Yeah. <laughs> no doubt. All right. Give us a story from uh, Survivor. Like, what was your most memorable experience on Survivor? Let me give me a little backstory. Danny. You didn't get oh, on Survivor, correct? So there may be – I don't know. I, I don't want you to get set up here. Daniel auditioned for Survivor. I did, I did, I did didn't make the cut. Tape and never so don't back. set yourself up for something that he's going to – yeah, just back. Are you telling me, round. Danny, that you applied and did not get in? I did not. I, I like, sent it to their, their the website. Like, whatever so I did I. Email the website, just put it in the mail. No connections, no hookup. Wait, Obviously, can we, my, my didn't pop. Hold on. Can we move his resume forward a little bit now? Do I, we have the connection? I just, yeah, I was first at first boot. I've got tons of connections. <laughs> uh, Danny, so here's the thing. I did the same thing. I just applied online, and uh, I got an interview. I went to L.A. and spent a week, and uh, – and I got on. And the number one most difficult part of Survivor was sitting in seat 79J all the way to the Philippines. Oh, man. That's <laughs> no way. That's fantastic. I swear to God, it's true. Uh, my back would be thrown out if I, if I was, did that. I wouldn't be able to walk. So we had Cliff Robinson on our season. and uh, I, Uncle in, Cliff? Yes, That's Uncle fantastic. Cliffy was, yeah. was on. He was on the Braun team. And they moved him up into a bulkhead seat in coach. So he had seat 49K because his legs were so long that there was nothing he could do about it. And the eventual winner my season was a guy named Tony Vlacos, uh, who is a policeman in New Jersey, season 28. He spent the entire 14-hour flight with his head on the tray. 
wow. leaning down every minute of it. And I'm staring at this guy thinking, oh, I got him. This guy, I got him. Meanwhile, the joke was on me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like so Googling these people as you talk about them. I can't believe that guy won. The heck? He was good. He was so really I, good. I didn't realize that you actually co-wrote and performed in a play. So which MLB storyline this year would lend itself most toward a Broadway or Hollywood script? Oh, I think you have to go with Stanton and Judge because yeah. the expectations are so high on them. And they, they look like superheroes, so they already look like caricatures. And the question will be, can they possibly live up to the hype? It's going to be super hard to do because people will expect a home run every single at-bat. Yeah. And that's not how Stanton's wired. He is wired to go the other way. Uh, when he hits home runs to left field, uh, that's because it just happens. He doesn't try that. So if you go look at his batting practice, I know the Yankees are opening up the ballpark early so people can watch batting practice. He goes the other way for the first two or three rounds every single day in BP because that's when he's feeling good about his stroke. But to me, that's a movie uh, that that could be made. I just don't know right now whether it's a tragedy or a comedy. It's a Bronx right. Tale, right? <laughs> we could just go up with that one. <laughs> that's very good. I just saw that, so that's why it was fresh well in my done. mind, even though it really is I not love it. All right, David, hey, I, I will say this. Now that you're a part of our team, hopefully you can develop some of that camaraderie that you had because it is tough. I don't think anybody realizes how tough it is to transition. Like once you've been a part of a team to go to the next kind of career or the next phase – and uh, hopefully we can do that for you here at CBS Sports uh, HQ because I think you, oh, we've got a pretty good team. Hopefully you'll fit in. And uh, I do think you mean we'll Danny, the first time too. and second time you walked right by me and didn't say hello? Is that the camaraderie you're talking <laughs> about? Camaraderie you're talking about because that's really awesome. <laughs> I love that. I did not. I don't know if I didn't see you or I was because sometimes I'm focused. But next time we sometimes were hanging out, you talked to everyone in the pod where I was except me. Except me. Yeah. Just no way. Let him dodge. Don't let him dodge. Just don't, so please. you know. Accountability. And by the way, my feelings were hurt zero because I had no higher expectation than that. Because I've always loved your dad more than you. But let's just say that next time, drop a hello and maybe I'll respond. I will apologize for that too. (laughs) All right. Thank you guys. Thanks for joining us. Anytime. See you soon. Bye. All right. Great stuff there from David Sampson. But it's time to finish it up with some topics. What do you got, Debo? Topics. It wouldn't be topics. We couldn't go a week without talking about Tom Brady or Giselle Bunch and Giselle saying that she will not tell Tom Brady, her husband, when to retire. She would just feel too bad about it. He would resent her for it. And ultimately, it's his choice. I mean, she's she's right there, right? She's a good wife. That's how you should do it. You should just let Whatever. him figure it out. Bro. And then she'll say, I told you so. <laughs> like what she's doing him. Like, it, I, why would you tell she doesn't need because to say she, anything. It's come out before that she kind of has she, wanted Tom Brady to retire in the up. past. Listen, she is. It's you guys my watch job. Rocky. It's you guys my watch business. Rocky, right? You ain't telling me when to retire. Let's get that straight now. <laughs> what was the conversation with your is, wife when you retired? Here's why she's doing this. My, my wife supported me unequivocally with 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 my decision to play basketball. Like it was not her right. her job to tell me when it was to retire. Like and and. My wife, uh, she's got plenty of say in our household. Like we do that 50-50, but that was my career. So mm-hmm. there's no need for her to be telling me when to retire. So Giselle, hey, thank you for not telling Tom Brady when to retire. Here's the thing. She's oh, not. She's not backed off at all. You guys saw Rocky, right? So you remember Adrian, how annoying she was telling Rocky to retire, and she'd cry, and she wanted him to retire, yeah. and all that. She wanted him to quit. That's what Giselle does. And the fact that she came – because I think everybody – I think she finally realized it was kind of annoying that she was telling her husband to when to retire. So she's finally woken up and said, you know what? Maybe I should just keep my mouth shut and let him do what he wants to do. 
So we're going to keep it short on topics today. This is our final one. And if you go back to a, kind of our lost tapes, the first ones we, we released as a podcast, we talked about on a Get to Know segment before Hannah was even involved, about if your child was born, days. if your first child was born, what would you do if you were playing in a championship-type situation? Now, this is not a championship True. situation, True. but Raja's new favorite player, Damian Lillard, Damn. will what miss tomorrow's Blazers game uh, because of the impending birth of I'm his out. first child. It's You're out, right? No-brainer. I'm out. Waiting for a playoff spot? Uh, I'm out. Uh, a playoff spot out, but my, what if it was a championship? Uh, if it's if it's the NBA Finals, I'm I'm saying all right, I'll be Western there. Western Conference Finals, yeah. well, so, seven. Listen, let me tell you what happened to us. Like well, when my first son Dia was born, we had a doctor that was so dope. My wife hates this lady to this day. If she ever sees her, I don't know what'll happen. But she actually, my wife, it was a false labor type of deal. Okay. And so my wife thought her water broke. It didn't break. We went to the hospital. They had her there. The lady knew that we played. This is first kid. My first child. Yeah, first kid jitters too. The the doctor knew that we played the Lakers the next day, and so rather than send her home, they induced, and she went into labor. She had like a labor that was like I don't know, like fourteen, fifteen hours. Oh my! And we were there all night, but I was back ready to play the next morning. Like like I'd shoot around, and all the lady talked about all night was making sure that I had a nice place to sleep and that I was comfortable, (gasps) so that my back would be all right, so I could play the next day. I would agree with your wife on that one. That's a little crazy. I feel like as the, like if I was the wife in this situation and it, my husband was playing at a championship game and I was about to have a baby, I'd be like, you do you, but like you owe me forever. So big. So big. <laughs> you owe me so big after so big. this. I think so many guys like to do it, to be there because the way it plays out, like, Hey, look at me. I'm this big family guy. And they take off during the regular season to be there. You have the rest of your life to be a good husband and a good dad, but you only have a tiny window to be a professional athlete and potentially playing a Super Bowl, playing a playoff game, so any of those. So I think it does matter what the circumstance is, but if it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, when you look at some of the situations that have been talked about, I think you have to maximize that. But to Hannah's point, I think you should absolutely have this discussion while you're dating and know what you're getting into. Like, oh. I, I remember my wife and I, we actually talked about this while we were dating because it came up with some other athlete. And she was like, no, no, she's like, you better go. That's your job. Like, that's why right. you get paid. That's what you get paid to do. She's like, now come come back to me as soon as you can. But, you know, we'll be fine. I'm going to tell like, another we'll quick over. story. Another and quick there's story. nothing you can do. Like, what if something, because everybody else says, what if something goes wrong? What are you going to do? They're probably yeah, going to kick you, you out of the room if something goes wrong, right? right? Yeah. More, <laughs> like, so I got, I was invited to shoot in a three point shootout. Um, it, I, maybe 07, 08, something like that. I was there. I was in Houston. My wife, she had miscarriage that year. We were trying to have another child. And so I actually left. I didn't shoot in a three point shootout. Um, and I went to be with her. She had DNC and she hates another person in Phoenix. My wife hates a lot of people, apparently. <laughs> Robert Sarver, because Robert Sarver caught her on a team plane one time and said something to the fact of like, you should really love your husband. He's a great guy. He left the thing. And my wife was just so insulted. She was like, I was, I was laying there like having a, a miscarriage and he's my husband. He came home. So Robert Sarver, if you ever see Cindy Bell somewhere, duck, brother. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. He did pay I love you. It. Huh? He did pay you, right? Who paid me? Robert Sarver. For what? For playing for the Suns. Oh, okay. yeah, we're straight. We're straight, Rob. I've, I've told that story too, right? About the I have yes. Anyway, Rob's an uh, interesting right. dude. I love his fam, though. All right, that's a wrap for today's podcast. Make sure you go uh, check us out on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe, download uh, anywhere you can find podcasts. We're basically out there: Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud. Leave us that five star review. Friday, this Friday, we're going to do another edition of our five star Q and A, where you ask us anything you want, and we'll get to it. And uh, as always, leave us some feedback at Canel and Bell on Twitter and Instagram. Have a great day.